leave right here on Radio 3. So join us on Facebook Live, if you can, as we say hi and welcome to James Marsh, because it's Marshy Movie Time. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, lots to talk about this week. We have movie reviews of Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, yeah. as well as Man in Love, Taiwanese movie, and Signal, the movie, a spin-off of a Japanese TV show, itself a remake of a Korean show. Um, I also want to talk about Dune, the upcoming uh, Denis Villeneuve movie. Mm. Uh, but first, we need to talk about the Cannes Film Festival. Yes. So... Uh, as I mentioned, as I mentioned last week, uh, Cannes Film Festival was in full swing. It wrapped up uh, end of the weekend, and as you may remember, because I know you pay attention to I what do. I say, um, the one film that had piqued my interest as the festival was going on was a French movie called Titane or Titanium mm. uh, from Julia Docono, who is um, the director of Raw, which I really liked from a few years ago. And lo and behold, Titane won the Palme d'Or, which yes. is the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival. So what can I tell you? <laughs> other, You're just brilliant. <laughs> other than... Uh, I pay attention to people who were there and have seen these things. Okay. Uh, of course, the festival, you know, the, the, the awards ceremony did cause a little bit of controversy because the jury president, uh, Spike Lee, accidentally revealed the, the sort of Palm Door winner first instead of last, right, right at the beginning of the festival because uh, he was obviously working via an interpreter and when he was asked uh, to reveal the first prize... He, he sort of misinterpreted it as can you reveal first place and ah. so he, he literally stood up and started and went first and the prize goes not to first prize and the rest of the jury are like no 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 no, no. <laughs> well you no know, it's yeah it's a it's a it's a it's an you know it's an understandable mistake but at the same time he must have been very discombobulated yeah to well it was going to come out have in any way thought yeah thought that they would want the, the first the, you know the main prize first but hey uh, so yeah very excited looking forward to that I know Edco has picked up the local rights to that so yeah. hopefully we will get it in cinemas here sooner rather than later I mean it looks nuts it looks absolutely bonkers it kind of looks like a cross between David Cronenberg's Crash and Shinya Sukamoto's Tetsuo the Iron Man it's mm. kind of body horror fetish um serial killer movie that's sort of neon drenched 80s vibe i don't i mean i've only seen the trailer but it looks absolutely bonkers and, you know it's a rare it's a rare thing this kind of sort of genre movie to win big at these festivals and the poster is stunning we're looking at it now mm -hmm. the artwork's important <laughs> Get the artwork is important that is many people's first impression yeah indeed fantastic and so you, you were, to, and you, you were right did you mention smash? that did I mention that? Yeah, well, there you go. Oh, right. Right. I don't think I actually said I think it will win or anything like that because obviously I hadn't seen anything that was uh, in competition, but mm. it was the one film that had, uh, that had grabbed my attention and it seems to have done the same for the jury. Brilliant. So jolly good, can't wait. And obviously as soon as I have more information about a local release, I will let you all know. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay then, moving spe on. Speaking of... Speaking of upcoming releases, what I have been able to... Well, I'll tell you what happened. This is Denis Villeneuve's Dune, which was one of my most anticipated films of last year and remains one of my most anticipated films of this year. Mm. It's right For me, it's right up there with the new James Bond film of, you know, big, exciting, 
movies that hopefully one day we'll be able to see. Uh, you know, obviously David Lynch has tried to adapt this film in the past to questionable success. You know, yeah. there's a great sort of cult following behind that movie from 1984, I think. However, I don't think anybody will try to claim that it is a, a, a faithful adaptation of Frank Herbert's 1968 sci-fi masterpiece, you know, mm. which has gone on to influence everything, Star Wars, Flash Gordon, you name it. Yes, I know Flash Gordon pre-exit, you know, predates... But movie-wise. Uh, Dune, <laughs> but, but movie-wise, you know. Pretty much, it, it's, it's amazing looking at, uh, looking at Dune or reading Dune and just seeing how everything in the sci-fi genre that came after it was in some way touched by its genius fascinating documentary out called Jodorowsky's Dune because oh, yeah. uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky you know very sort of crazy I think he's I want to say he's Chilean I always forget where he's actually from filmmaker who made some great sort of cult classics in the 70s like El Topo and The Holy Mountain mm. he attempted to get it made in the 70s and brought together this incredible group of people to try and make it. It obviously didn't work, it fell apart, it was too expensive, whatever. But all of those creatives that he had accumulated all scattered and they included people like sort of Dan O'Bannon who went on to write Alien and you see a lot of the imagery that he was they were playing around with in Dune popping up in Alien mm. and then in later incarnations of that franchise, particularly Prometheus. Uh, and, you know, obviously elements pop up in Star Wars and, and you name it. So, and that's a, that's a really cool documentary of like what might have been from a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. So that's well worth checking out. Okay. However, Denis Villeneuve, who we all know is, you know, one of, one of my favourite directors currently working, he recently did uh, Blade Runner 2049. Or is it 2049, 2047? I don't know, the new Blade Runner film, uh, which was my favourite film of the year, uh, when the year it came out, even though I can't remember what it was called. Yeah. Um, he also did Arrival. He was Oscar nominated for Arrival, another great sci-fi movie starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. And he did Sicario and, uh, you know... Which you loved. ...other films before that. So he comes with great pedigree, and I think if anybody could be entrusted with this property to do it justice than it is uh, Denis Villeneuve. Now, mm -hmm. this is scheduled to come out in Hong Kong on October the 14th, uh, that, which is actually a week before it comes out in the US. And in the US, it's coming out simultaneously. I think they're still doing it simultaneously on HBO Max. Uh, but trust me, I went to see a sneak peek of some of it, a bit of it, yesterday in IMAX, and it looks absolutely incredible. So when you do get the chance to see it, in October, yep. do go to the biggest screen that you can find. Go see it on an IMAX cinema. Uh, it looks and sounds absolutely sensational. Let me say hello to Steve at this point on Facebook Live. Marshy, are you going to talk about the Dune preview you saw? Hello? Well, if I can get a word in edgeways, <laughs> I will. <laughs> so, yeah, so what they showed us yesterday, they showed us the first ten minutes of the film, yeah. which includes kind of an opening introduction to the planet Arrakis and the situation with the, you know, it's a desert planet, it has huge sandworms under the surface, but it also is the, the home of, of this spice, and this spice... Uh, <clears throat> The spice is basically the most valuable commodity in the world. It extends life. It is vital to it's space travel. Uh, it is. It is like the most valuable commodity uh, on the planet. And yet, and so inevitably, their their planet is pl being plundered by all kinds of different forces from across the galaxy. Yeah. So we're introduced to that, and then we're introduced to uh, the Atreides family. Uh, 
who are being in at the moment that they are being entrusted with sort of stewardship of Arrakis, otherwise known as Planet Dune. Mm. And uh, so we saw that, and then we saw uh, another sequence, which is the first uh, Sandworm attack sequence, which is a pivotal moment in the film when our hero Paul Atreides, played here by Timothy Chalamet, uh, first uh, you know gets to the planet. Uh, and then we saw, you know, we had there were some interviews with Denis Villeneuve, Timothy Chalamet, and most importantly, uh, composer Hans Zimmer, who's in the school oh, and has done this incredible sort of a melodic a melodic sort of percussive score he says i mean obviously this is all very carefully curated sort of interview and sound bites that we we were shown but yeah, yeah but still um he talks about how uh he's always kind of slightly let down when he watches these sort of exotic science fiction movies set on distant planets and the music is all french horns and cellos uh he's like well, you know an alien environment deserves yeah but he was like an alien environment deserves sort of alien music and so he tried Assume. to in they sort of invent new music and invent new instruments and so what you hear is, is this incredibly kind of weird tribal sort of percussion sounds mm -hmm. that he's uh, put together and I can't wait to get my hands on the full score Brilliant. for the film to, to listen to it all the way through uh, but all I can say is it look it looks absolutely incredible it sounds wonderful mm -hmm. uh, and um, you know, f having re you know read the book and seen the, seen the old, old film and you know uh, being aware of what the property promises and what you know the depths of it, the layers of it, uh, I think we're in very safe hands. Who knows? It might be a disaster. They might have shown us the only good bits from the movie, but I'm I am incredibly excited. I'm surprised they actually showed you Worm in action because it makes sense to just keep it under wraps because that's the big deal, isn't it? Sure, I mean, admittedly, it's it's a tease, but then it's a tease within the story. It's the first interaction, and so it's more a case of seeing, you know, tremblings beneath the sand and seeing its mouth come up out and swallow a, uh, a harvester. All right, well, I've got some tremblings beneath the sand because it's nearly news time. So join us on Facebook Live quickly. What are you going to do afterwards? Uh, we've got Snake Eyes, yep. Man in Love, and Signal the Movie. Super duper. Let's do this. You sit tight, James. On we go. Right, let's get down to the goodies. James, what are you doing? Okay, so the big loose out this week is Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, which is the third big live-action movie adapted from the G.I. Joe franchise. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that the G.I. Joe franchise obviously launched in uh, the 60s as a way of essentially supporting, advertising, promoting uh, a toy line from Hasbro mm -hmm. uh, of sort of military-themed action figures and vehicles. So it, w it was toys first. So very much like Transformers, actually, uh, in as much as it, you know, it was toys, and then it was cartoons, comic books, video games, and it's since become sort of quite, quite the media behemoth. There was a very popular... TV uh, cartoon series in the 1980s, which I remember in the UK was rebranded as Action Force. Yeah. Because yeah. I guess they figured that kids wouldn't know what G.I. Joe meant. Uh, so essentially, this is a kind of reboot. There have been two films uh, beforehand, but this is sort of a, a reboot and it works as an origin story for Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes, one, one of the most popular sort of hero characters. Uh, he is a sort of silent, uh, masked uh, ninja uh, trained commando. 
who was always actually a sort of a Caucasian character when you did see his face, which was very rarely. But a, you know, but I think this feels like uh, a an opportunity to kind of uh, reclaim him as as like an Asian character, uh, because you know, for, in large part because a he's a pretty much a blank slate as a character, so you can do what you want with him, and a large part of his pers- personality, dare I say, if he has one is that he is kind of trained in ninja skills and Asian martial arts and all the rest of it. So why not make him an Asian character? And so here we have him in the shape, in the guise of Henry Golding, that people will know from Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, You know, Malaysian-born... So I think he was like a sort of TV presenter, TV host, that kind of thing, model, uh, and has since become sort of an actor as well. Okay, so essentially, you know, it starts with a prologue and we see a young boy witness the murder of his father, cuts to 20 years later, and he's a drifter living on the fringes of society, uh, scraping a living as an MMA fighter, uh, where he's approached by the Yakuza and asked to infiltrate uh, a, a, a sort of clan, a Japanese clan uh, over in Tokyo mm. and... Um, in return, you know, so that this yakuza head can sort of stake his claim to to the clans, to the clan itself, uh, and in return he'll get information about uh, his father's killer. Hopefully, okay. so he befriends uh, sort of the heir apparent to the to the clan, um, Tommy, played by Andrew Koji, who is a sort of oh. British-born Japanese uh, actor in martial arts. The best fights and. So, well, so they so they head to Tokyo, and pretty much the bulk of the film is taken up with uh, Snake Eyes. He doesn't have a name, hmm. you know. He's completely off grid, no identity, all the rest of it. Um, he's just he's just called Snake Eyes, uh, and he is trained uh, by different martial arts masters in all the all of these skills, and you know develops this sort of very strong brotherly bond with this Tommy character, which eventually, as fans of the franchise will know. Uh, that turns into a very sort of bitter rivalry as Snake Eyes becomes Snake Eyes and Tommy becomes Storm Shadow, which is kind of like his yin yang polar opposite sort of similarly trained uh, ninja guy. But he's but he's the bad guy. Mm. Um, and and in over the course of this, he slowly comes to learn about the GI Joe uh, task force and also about uh, Cobra, which is the great underground terrorist network. Yada yada yada. <laughs> okay, so the problem with this movie, uh, well, well, there there are many. Let's be uh, let's be quite upfront about this. Uh, the biggest problem is that you have this character that is a complete sort of blank slate as a as a personality, you know. But it's there's an opportunity there that you could essentially build whatever kind of personality you want for him, and here they choose to kind of do nothing. Uh, you know, he remains kind of this blank slate. He, he is a complete sort of, I hate to say it, but he's a complete sort of charisma vacuum. Uh, Henry Golding, you know, was perfectly positioned to add another feather to his cap as action hero, but he brings absolutely nothing to the role, unfortunately. Um, he's surrounded by all these very talented sort of martial artists, and yet the action of the film uh, is really poorly choreographed and even filmed even worse. Uh, you know, it's very shaky cam, choppy editing. You can't see what is going on, who is hitting who, who's you know what, where anybody is. Uh, and when it's not doing that, it's just this incredibly dull sort of fish out of water story, which about you know a guy going to Japan. Um, as I said, they decided to kind of 
seize on this character and, and make it an Asian story, but they do so in in such a sort of tired and generic kind of way, cashing in on the most sort of uh, clumsy Asian stereotypes at a time when you know the rest of Hollywood is doing everything it can to advance and diversify Asian representation off screen and showing yeah. that you know the Asian guy doesn't have to be just the ninja that lives in a pagoda and trains <laughs> under the waterfall all day. but this is the movie that they've chosen to make yeah and you've got you've got martial artists like Ika Ois who I'm a huge fan of Indonesian martial arts champion and choreographer from the raid movies and we've seen him pop up in all kinds of um other action franchises from John Wick to Star Wars who plays the sort of the principal trainer and yet you don't see him do any martial arts in the movie and <laughs> That's indignation. it begs the question what what did what were you trying to do what were you trying to do so you end up you know with a, a huge missed opportunity yeah. to kind of reboot this i mean it it pales in comparison to a film that let's be honest was was enjoyable nonsense from just a few weeks ago, which was the Mortal Kombat reboot. Oh, yeah. Which essentially, I thought this was going to be very much the same kind of thing. And actually, the opening and the setup of the characters is almost identical. But what that film did was employ a whole bunch of really skilled martial artists and then just let them do their thing. You know, essentially, that's built on a fighting, based on a fighting video game. Here, all they had to do was the exact same thing, and yet they just they just try to avoid doing any cool action at every possible turn and you end up with a film that that looks sort of like a cheesy picture postcard of uh you know uh you know every every tourist stop stereotype you could think of so, on yeah. a whirlwind tour to tokyo it, that, that feels so outdated i'll tell you what james i had a minor expl- like i had a minor explosion step. just then that you went what and you said andrew koji because he is absolutely rock and roll in warrior and if you want to see some brilliant martial arts choreography watch the opening five minutes of right. the very first episode andrew andrew koji is uh, assam the guy's legendary yeah, I've never seen. Oh. I've never seen Warrior, but he's the lead, isn't he? He, or one he, of the leads. he yeah. is, man. He is, and he's great in that. Harder than a coffin nail, but it's so brilliant. Anyway, I mean, that's great choreography. Yeah, I mean, here, here, he has he has by far the best character, yes. and does the best with it. Uh, but really, all of that uh, asks of him is to kind of just stare down the camera lens and yeah. snarl and then every now and <laughs> which again which he does very well too. you know twirl, twirl a few katana swords yeah you know which he which he does great but the material he has to work with is so sort of meager and pathetic uh, you know that, and it's just so dull it's so long so. and so dull you're just like oh. I, I was exhausted by the time it got to like the big fight sequences in the second yeah. half I was like I don't care anymore you made your point Join us on Facebook Live if you'd like to chip in. Really, Go on. It's really bad. All right, shall we move it's on? It's rubbish. Shall we move? Moving on. <laughs> what have we got next, James? Yeah. That was Snake Eyes, by the way, which you didn't like, okay. in case you missed that bit. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. What have we got? And it was pants. Okay, uh, let's talk about Signal. Yeah. Signal the movie. Okay, oh. so this is a uh, movie, big screen spin-off, of a Japanese TV show, which was itself a remake of a Korean TV show. Okay. Uh, the Korean TV show, I think, came out in 2016. 
Uh, and as is the case with a lot of these Korean TV shows, it's just one season, one and done. Uh, the Japanese show came out in 2018, and by mm-hmm. all accounts, it's pretty much the exact same story. Okay. Uh, both of those TV shows, I should point out, are on Netflix right now, so you can go and watch both of those. Uh, this film carries on immediately from the Japanese TV show. It does a very good job of... Um, getting you up to speed in a very quick sort of two-minute montage of the entire TV show. All right. uh, I haven't seen the TV show, but I did not feel lost. I was like, okay, I get it. I kind of read a little bit ahead of time, so I knew what was happening. Essentially, the premise of the story is that it's set in a kind of cold case police department, uh, and be- because of sort of weird, magical, not explained reasons, mm. a broken walkie-talkie connects with a cop like 12, 15 years in the past. Cool. So they can communicate with each other via this walkie-talkie sometimes. It doesn't always work, but it just connects them at opportune moments. And as they work cold cases, it's very convenient because often the cop in the past is active at exactly the right period of time for them to help solve these cold cases. So in a temporal pincer movement that would delight Christopher Nolan, having you know, having built a tenet around such devices, mm. uh, they are able to solve solve previously unsolved crimes or stop crimes either even from happening because they're coming at them from two temporally different and opposing Got it. positions. If you get what I mean, yes, they're com- they're coming at the case from the past and from the present. It's all very clever. Very so basically, in, in the movie, basically what happens is a politician is killed. It looks like an accident, but he's been gassed in his car, and so the driver and him both die, and the car crashes. And it's eerily similar to two other cases that happened 12 years earlier, mm-hmm. both of, all, all of which seem to have used a chemical weapon that was used by a terrorist organization in 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government at that time said that all the terrorists had been captured and that the the gas was, was was had all been contained and there was none of it left, but that appears not to have been the case and that they have been lied to. At that moment, the walkie-talkie link fires back up again, and their man back in uh, back 12 years ago not only is around at the time of these earlier event incidents, but he also actually witnessed one of them. And said at the time when it was written off as an accident, he said, "That's not an accident. I saw something." And he his uh, his, his uh, report was buried. Movie like this, it's got to be full on with the continuity, hasn't it? What about in this case? Well, what, I mean, what this one does is um, doesn't even try to explain any <laughs> of the kind of Whatever. technology behind <laughs> it or the reasoning behind it. It just works. It just happens, and you either go with it. Or you don't go with it. Right. It's utterly preposterous. Uh, there, it, you know, it because it's based on a Korean show. It's almost more interested in the melodrama and in the rela- existing relationships between all the different characters than it is in actually solving the crime. Right. Um, you know, the, our guys in the present. I mean, the main lingering kind of issue hanging over everybody is the fact that the guy, the guy in the present knows when and how the guy in the past dies. Uh, right. 
and so does he does he warn him doesn't he warn him does he say what's going to happen you know it's like marty mcfly in back he, to the future yeah yeah you know he knows that doc brown gets shot by libyan terrorists on the night that he travels back to 1955 but does he tell him and what will the implications be the funny thing is that time and time again when they essentially rewrite history by solving all of these cold cases that had never been solved is that the impact the kind of butterfly effect to the present is very minimal mm. <laughs> which is probably the least plausible part of this because we have been taught by pretty much every time travel time loop movie in existence that if you mess with the past you're going to impact the future in exponentially marty mcfly tries Back to the Future tries on that yeah. level, doesn't it? Well, I think Back to the Future is, is still regarded as one of the best examples, just, just because it sets, it sets in stone sort of a, a series of rules that kind of make sense. Obviously, it's bobbins, but it, they kind of make sense. You <laughs> yeah. know? And I think, you know, to this day, uh, you know, I think the, the, the genre uses those rules as textbook, you know? Because uh, they just kind of make sense, and every now and again you'll get a film that, or a story or an idea that tries to push those limits. I like the way, James, they often say, don't talk to anybody, don't interact with anybody, but by, by actually being there and perhaps even shooting a glance to somebody on the street, they've screwed it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember there was a great sort of uh, 2000 AD uh, comic story from back in the day, which I think was, it was something like Rogue Trooper or one of those, I can't remember what the actual strip was, but he travels back in time to kind of prehistoric e um, era and on arrival he kind of treads on a butterfly and squashes exactly, it dead. Exactly, yes. Uh, and then he goes back to the present day and the whole the whole world has changed and they're overrun by giant mutant dinosaurs <laughs> purely from just no squashing one bug. Yeah. It, quite, a quite literal butterfly effect. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, this film, it, it doesn't really bother itself with follow, setting up or following any kind of rules uh, and probably does itself, you know, it, it's far more interested just in the, in the melodrama, in the fact that the main guy in the present, his boss, his female boss was the rookie of the guy in the past way back then and she had kind of like romantic yearnings and yeah. now she knows when the guy's going to die. Does she tell him? And, you know, you've got all this kind of stuff going on. And... Um, it's fairly it's it's fairly innocuous nonsense um i think if you don't if you haven't uh but put it this way if you if you watch the tv show then i think you're probably already gonna go see this got it if you haven't watched the tv show uh what i would actually probably recommend you do is go and watch the korean tv show first because by all accounts uh it's better right. and i think that they deal with this kind of melodrama with a little bit more oomph and enthusiasm all right then well listen before you get to your last one quick question james quick question from the board when is june coming to hong kong any release date do you know uh yes as i mentioned about 10 minutes ago it is october yes, 14th one week uh, one week ahead of the states got it all right then and as uh, as i mentioned just now what else have you got Okay, so the other film that we've got out this week is Man in Love, which is a Taiwanese uh, romantic drama, also a remake of a Korean film from 2014. Oh, yeah. Okay, so essentially the story is you've got Ah Cheng, played by Roy, Roy Chu, who is a loan shark. But he's a loan shark with a heart of gold. Okay. You know? he will as, he's as likely to actually give you a bit of cash, bring a gift, as he is to... Uh, 
smash your shop up and demand a late payment. Bit of a Robin Hood. Um, so he's kind of a weird, unpredictable kind of character. All right. Uh, now, he suddenly develops this sort of love at first sight crush on uh, uh, Teng, who is uh, the daughter of a debtor. Uh-huh. Uh, her father is sick, uh, ran up a load of medical bills. He's now in hospital and he's probably not going to pull through. Okay. Uh, she works at like a local farmers association. Uh, she's struggling to get by and all her money is going to pay for her, doctor, her father's uh, medical bills. Uh, so he, she has no real way of paying back this guy right so he because he's completely smitten with her she's a very sort of sensible straight-laced girl has no interest in him whatsoever he makes a gives her a proposition he basically says if you go out on a date with me or a series of dates you can work off your dad's debt and she's like that's that's awful i'm not going to do that Mm. but he was like no 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 it'll be purely platonic well, she insists that it's platonic, and he sets up sort of a grid, a table, and he's like, "What we'll do is we'll just go for meals, we'll do karaoke, we'll go bowling, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go on like these very sort of innocuous dates, uh, and if you work your way through, then uh, by the end you'll uh, you'll have paid off your debt." So she really has no option. He kind of completely sort of corners her, coerces her into it, and so she has to agree. Inevitably, slowly but surely. Her defences come down. She <laughs> softens. We, she sees you know, his redeemable qualities, of which apparently there are many. John suggests here that she's, he's a lonely loan shark, I think. you. All right, John. <laughs> a lonely shark. Yeah, uh, yeah maybe. Um, so slowly but surely, you know, they, they sort of are drawn to one another, and he decides to leave his life of crime. Yeah. But, of course, uh, his boss, who is a formidable... Uh, middle-aged uh, woman called Madame... I can't remember what her name is now, but she's quite scary. Mm. Uh, she's having none of it. She reminds him of why he is under, in, under her employment, you know, because he's, he's like working off the debts of the rest of his family by working for her. And essentially, when he tries to leave, uh, everything just goes a bit nasty. Right. So... Having read up, again, this is, a, like I said, it's based on a Korean film that I haven't seen. Uh, having re- read up on the Korean original, the Korean version is even more reprehensible. Apparently, he, in the Korean version, he even makes her sign away, like a sort of a disclaimer saying that if she fails to pay back her loan, then her organs can be harvested. Nice. Or something like that. It's, you know, it's so... I mean, I suppose credits where it's due to the Taiwanese version for softening those sharp edges slightly. But this film really does sort of assume that you buy into the notion that these reprehensible hoodlums um, are redeemable by the love of a good woman and that that's all it takes. I think organ harvesting is a bit far, you know, or anything of that nature. Just saying, really. I, I don't think I'd be able to get past that, you well, know, I, in a relationship. <laughs> exactly. I think that might be a deal breaker. Yeah. So, I mean, in in this version, there is no organ harvesting. You'll be pleased to know. Yeah. But at the same time, it does it does assume that as a as a moviegoer, you will buy into the notion that a you know a completely irre- irredeemable hoodlum, all he needs is the love of a good woman. Yep. And that a good woman 
will see will see his redeemable qualities and embrace them and that you are supposed to be happy for them when that happens there's obviously a lot of tragedy thrown in just for good measure just yeah. to turn it into a weepy kind of the first half is kind of playful and, and sort of comedic <laughs> dare i say yeah. and then the second half goes goes all in on the uh, on the tear jerking um but it's really up to you uh the you know the film assumes it's done everything that it needs to do yeah to draw you in and sell you on this premise so it's all up to you whether you know you can get over that hurdle of a woman essentially being coerced into a relationship that she then stays in voluntarily all right let's put the lid on it james quick reminder we've been all over the place this morning brilliant <laughs> i'm glad you said brilliant at the end there he's like you're we've been all over the place no 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 it's cool. um Okay, that was called Man in Love. Yeah. Uh, there's also the uh, Japanese spin-off Signal, and there's also Snake Eyes. Uh, so there isn't a great deal. You know, there's no big bona fide hit today. However, later today, uh, season two of Ted Lasso is dropping on Apple Plus, and so I'm very excited for that. Uh, although I haven't seen it, it might be rubbish, but I'll get back to you on that next <laughs> week. Uh, Dune, for the record, Dune is out on October the 14th and yeah. looks fantastic from what we have seen. And keep an eye out for Titan, the Palm Door winner, as and when it comes to Hong Kong. Nice one. Thank you very much. Marshy Movie Time will return.